hope it's been a blessing to you so far. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll read four verses today. And verses 9 to 12. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. <clears throat> As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word and that we can trust every syllable in it. Father, we pray for your blessing upon us now to trust it more in our lives, to trust our, our lives to it, that we might follow it faithfully. And we pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, open up our ears to hear your truth, that you would bless me with your words that I might bless my brethren here today, that we might honour you as your people and glorify you in every way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Judah had fallen, and we looked at this last week, Judah had fallen into some pretty grievous sin. They had actually fallen to a particular place where judgment was coming, and it was not going to turn back. They had fallen into idolatry, which is the worship of other gods created in, in various images made of wood and stone and various things. They had fallen and chased after false gods and worshipped false gods, the gods of the neighbouring countries that they were living among. They neglected the commandments of the Lord and, and fall into some pretty grievous uh, errors. And so Jeremiah had been called by God to prophesy against them, not only to warn them, but to say judgment was coming. But the people's hearts had forsaken God for so long. They had left him so much that they not only had run after other gods, but they couldn't hear the message anymore. It was impossible for them to actually hear. And so I described Israel's or Judah's downfall last week as like a spiral, like a whirlpool. It starts off slowly as you're going around, but as you get closer and closer to the center, it gets faster and faster. And before you know it, you're down. And you can't get back up anymore. And so Israel's downfall was like a spiral that had dragged them down, of which there was no going back at this point. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. And I use this passage to describe what had happened to the Jews, what had happened to Israel, and how it still is today the case that man has not changed and that Israel becomes a, a, uh, a lesson for us today so Romans 1:21 says because that when they knew God and Israel knew God mind you they knew him very well they had his commands they they had his prophets they had a history with him when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was dark and so they became they were neither thankful, which means that's the reason they went chasing after other gods. You know what? When you don't appreciate what you've got, you go looking for something else, which is what they began to do. And so they became, the Bible says, vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to that because we're going to be looking at that in great detail today. But go down to verse 24 with me. It says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So the first thing I want to explain this morning is that the imagination of our minds, once that enters into the heart, takes on a whole new theme, a whole new uh, uh, action. You see, once that, that imagination that starts in your mind enters into the heart, 
it can become a snare to you and a pathway to iniquity and sin. Human imagination is a wonderful thing. It can be a wonderful thing. It separates us from the animals. Animals don't have an imagination to come up with new ideas and, and, new, and new things. It points actually to us being created in God's image. It points wonderfully to that. So, Because when you look around the universe, when you see this world that we live in and the complexity of life and the wonderful laws that, that, you know, that this universe uh, follows and the revolving of the planets and all that sort of stuff and the stars and everything else that we see, it points to a creator with a wonderful imagination, doesn't it? Because think of all the different types of animals that you have and, and all the complexities of, of, of nature and everything and how they beautifully fit together. Only someone with an amazing imagination can come up with that. And so it points to a creator with a wonderful imagination who then, when he imagined it, simply spoke it into existence. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But in us, that imagination can be good, but it can also be evil. It can point us to the wrong direction. And the same mind which can perceive good things also perceives evil things and once it enters into the heart it shapes the individual and sets them on a particular course and before they know it they're well into that course and israel was well along that particular pathway and it was too late for them to change direction anymore you know when mankind discovered that they could split an atom okay so when they discovered that they could actually split an atom in half, okay, they and realized that in doing so, it could produce a huge amount of energy. They imagined a power source that could power cities, that could run a whole range of things. And so they became passionate about this. And so what they did is they went around and they went about designing something a type of system that could capture that energy in a very controlled sort of way and the, that imagination which stirred their passion created nuclear power plants which still plenty of them around are powering cities even today but with the same imagination others imagined that the power unleashed from splitting that atom could be put into the form of a bomb the very same thing. One is controlled and produce something good from it, and the other one is uncontrolled, so you can unleash evil with it. And so with equal passion, thinking that if the enemies got their hands on it first, they were going to be in, in, the, you know, in a terrible position, they hurried themselves to create a device that, that could unleash all the power contained in the radioactive source in a moment. And so a nuclear bomb was created. And then they created the hydrogen bomb. And then they created various forms of this which had more and more potential to destroy. And so today we have devices, thousands upon thousands of devices in silos and in planes and in submarines that can destroy the planet many times over by fire. With the imagination, man can produce wonderful works of art, music, things of absolute beauty with literature, but with the same passion and the same heart, they can produce absolutely evil things that point away from God and dishonour him. And so Romans describes a heart that has become darkened by holding on to particular types of imaginations you see because at one particular time they said you know what Baal is offering me more and so they imagined that if they follow, began to sort of not follow God as much or maybe we can have him as well right so we can still worship God but you know what we'll worship Baal as well because Baal can actually give us more water for our crops which means he's promising us more food and fertility for our, for our family so we can have more children and all that sort of stuff. So they began to imagine that it would be better for them to worship another God and then pretty soon they forsook the Lord 
and they went chasing after these false gods. And that imagination became a passion. And that passion led them into a very, very dark place. And the Lord describes that as their hearts becoming dark. So I'm going to look at a few of these verses because in Jeremiah, he speaks of this a number of times. So turn, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 7 with me. And we're going to look at the role that the imagination plays in leading a person to sin and then becoming trapped by that sin when it becomes a part of their heart. And so Jeremiah 7.23. Now pay close attention here because we're going to see a number of different ways that the heart turns away from God and actually leads to darkness. Jeremiah 7.23 says, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward so immediately now we see when god gives a command he's done it for our good he says that it may be well with you and so that you so you can be my people and i can be your god and so god offers himself through his laws and his commands and his word and he says i'm doing this for your good because i want you to be my people and i will be your god and i will give you everything that you need And so God sent them his prophets, he gave them his word, but they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't obey. And instead, he says here, they listened, which means they paid more interest to the imaginations or the cries of their own heart rather than the cries of the prophets and his own word. And they went forwards or backwards? Backwards. Now turn forward to Jeremiah 9, verse 13 and 14. So they chose not to obey. They chose to start following the imagination of their heart. And Jeremiah 9.13 says, And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken, so they've turned away from this thing completely, they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam which their fathers taught them. So their fathers came up with these ideas first. So they forsook God's law. They had no desire or love. And the Bible says, and God says, you know, when, you, when I give you the land and I'm going to give you the, this word that he gave through Moses, he said, I want you to love it. I want you to love this word. I want you to put it as frontlets between your eyes. I want you to strap it onto your hand. I want you to put these things in the front doors. I want you to teach them to your children. I want you to pray about them, meditate on them day and night. I want you to love them because if you love my word, then you're going to grow and do well. And love me with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And it will be well with you and I will continue to be your God. But did they do that? No. So they forsook his law. They didn't honor it. They didn't love it. Their passion started going to other places. That's why the Bible says, thou shalt not love the world. So they began to love other things and putting them first before God. And before long, they said, well, you know what? Why do I have to follow his law anyway? What good is it? It's a burden to me. I don't see anything good coming from this thing. In fact, if I follow Balaam, my life's going to be a whole lot freer. Balaam doesn't have all these rules and regulations I have to follow. He doesn't care. I can live life however I like. And before long, they, they forsook God, they forsook his law, and they followed after another God which their fathers had already told them about. Their imagination ended up in their heart, and that imagination led them into some pretty serious sin. So go forward to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 8 with me. Jeremiah 11, verse 8. It says, Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one 
in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. So they chose not to obey. They walked, every one of them then, after the imagination of your heart. So you see, sin, sin spreads. Sin's like cancer. And if I allow sin into my life, you know who it's going to affect? Not just me. It will affect you as well. Because you will then, your, your heart, if you see that I give myself license to do certain things, will say, hey, if the pastor can do that, then I can do that as well. And so if the fathers in Israel began to say, hey, look, you know, Balaam's not that bad. The children are going to say, hey, look, if Dad can do it, then we can do it too. And do they do it the same? No. They will always do it worse. They will go the next step. So be careful about sin in your life because what you do in your life, what you allow in your life will actually affect the people around you. And men, I speak specifically to you as the leaders in your home, not to set bad example for your children, for your wives. You are called to be the leaders, not just in authority that you have lordship over your family. No, no, no. You are called to lead by example because the example you set will actually teach your children in the future to live life a certain way. And if you allow their boundaries to go away from the word of God, then they will go another level and they will go even worse than where you've allowed them to go. And this is what happened with Israel. They had become so dark. And at this particular point, he says their hearts were evil, evil. There's nothing good left in them. And he said, judgment is coming to you. Now look at Jeremiah 13, 10. Now he says, this evil people, this evil people, which refuse to hear my words. He's sending them prophets. He's warning them. And he says, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them shall even be as this girl, which is good for nothing. So refusal, what starts in the heart? And Jesus says that, you know, sin in a person's life doesn't come from the outside. It comes from inside. The overflow of what you speak and what you do and decisions you make are coming from inside of our hearts. So if you're making bad decisions and decisions that aren't aligned with the word of God, be sure not to blame anyone else because they're coming from your own heart. Don't bother blaming the devil because he didn't have to touch you at all. We're doing things that come from our own hearts and we have to be very careful that we aren't in a downward spiral ourselves. And finally, look at Jeremiah 16, 12. When he rebukes Judah, it says in Jeremiah 16, 12, and ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart and they, that they may not hearken unto me. You see the downward spiral? every preceding generation so when a generation forsakes god the next generation goes worse and the generation after them goes worse it doesn't get better and so it's it's inherent upon us it's important for us to make sure we hold the line it's important for us to hold to the word of god and to teach our children the truth because it can't get it doesn't get better normally okay mankind is a way of allowing things to slide away and what good they have not to appreciate it and then to go chasing after other things. So do you think God was trying to tell them something here? Do you think, do you think there is something quite important about the imagination and where it can actually lead a person? Of course, God hasn't repeated this thing over and over and over again so that we don't take notice of it. He's warning us through his own people that we can fall into the same thing. We can allow the imagination that starts in here to end up in here and before long, we realize we're actually off course.
what becomes a possession in your heart first has to come through your mind first has to come through here you have to hear it see it understand it before it can reach here why do you think in the parable of the sower that the first seed that's sown goes on the actual footpath essentially and what happens to that to that seed the birds come and take it away and what does the devil come and do when the word of god is is sown before you get to understand it he wants to distract you and take that away from you so that you don't understand it because if you don't understand it there is zero chance it's going to get into your heart but the moment you understand it there's an opportunity for that truth to fall from here to here and when it falls from here to here he's gone a step backwards hasn't he and you've moved a step forward so remember how important it is that what you allow to come into your mind if you allow it to get into your heart will take root there and when that root starts to spread it will become part of who you are and you will become it after a while so turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll look at verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says... For though we walk in the flesh, which means we have physical bodies and we're walking around like that, we do not war after the flesh. Our, our fight is not against flesh. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not material things, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now look at verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you understand the importance of imaginations now? And how the thoughts that we have in our head, the part they play in leading us to sin. It's important that we realise that what we allow to go flying around up here may end up very possibly in here, and when it's there, it's hard to get rid of. Once your heart takes a hold of something, it doesn't want to let it go. And so it becomes almost like, not just a habit, but an addiction. And the heart doesn't want to let go of that thing which pleases it. So it's better to avoid playing around with sinful thoughts in the first place. You know, when uh, someone asked Martin Luther once, how do you stop sinning? And he likened it, he goes, well, he said, you know what, I can't stop a bird landing on my head. He said, but I can stop it making a nest there. Does that make sense? That's actually solid advice. You can't stop a thought entering in your mind. None of us can. A thought pops into your head before you know it, it's there. But the question is what you then go and do with that thought. Do you give it a home? Do you make it comfortable? Do you play around with it a bit to see, hey, you know, we, maybe we can sort of, you know, work this thing so it's not as dangerous as what it actually looks? No. So we are told here, don't give a resting place for thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. If you know something to be against the word of God, if you know something that is actually contrary, and if you're born again, you know it. You have no excuse. Even the unbelievers have a conscience which tells them right and wrong. But if you're, if you're a born-again believer today, you have the Holy Spirit inside here who's telling you as well, who's screaming out to you and saying, hey, get away from that thing. So we have no excuses, believers, to say, oh, I didn't know that was wrong. But we need to be very wary of these imaginations that exalt themselves, in other words, they come to us in a way that says, oh, that's more important than the word of God. That's more, this is more important. So just change the word of God a little bit. Just avoid those few lines over there. Don't worry about those because this is more important to go in this direction. You need to be very wary of the deception that our heart will play when it wants something. 
And what do you do with them? Well, it says here, you cast them down. You throw them. If they want to exalt themselves, you know what you do? You kick it away. You ignore it. You, um, you reject it. You avoid it. And instead, you fill your heart and your mind with ho- things that are holy and pure and lovely instead. As I said, you can't stop a thought entering in your mind, but you can stop it from actually making its home there. Because if it makes its home in your, in your head and you begin to enjoy it, rest assured, it's going to find its way in your heart and that is a very difficult place to be. Israel allowed that over and over again and before long, their hearts were completely evil. They were completely deaf to the words of God. They couldn't hear anything. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 just for a moment. Because Jesus explains this in these two verses, which we know very well, verses 27 and 28, which speaks about a man lusting after a woman. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. Matthew 5, 27 says, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, which is fair enough. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, can I possibly stop from looking at every woman? The answer to that is an absolute no, I can't. Well, I could do like some of the Pharisees or the, the rabbis used to do and cover their eyes or put a veil in front and then go walking into poles and walls, okay? Or you could do maybe like some sex in Islam where, you know what, I can't stop myself from looking at women. See what I'm going to do? I'm going to cover them from head to toe so we can't see them. Well, not a solution really, is it? Or you, you might be like some rabbis do that they refuse to go anywhere near a woman to touch or talk or, or you know what I mean because just in case and they're not going to be around anywhere where a woman is just in case they you know they fall into sin fair enough you've got that that desire not to do that sin but you know what I remember Jesus spoke to a woman at the well Jesus some of Jesus best friends were women Mary and Martha and those ones he had uh, he had prostitutes who had repented and, and, and you know and put their faith in him you know uh, anointing his feet and, and 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 cleaning his feet with their hair they loved him so much he didn't say get away from me you dirty thing no can i stop uh, from looking at a woman probably not can i stop looking at a woman to lust after her yes i can you see because that's the whole bottom line here isn't it it's not just looking at a woman it's looking at a woman to lust after her in order to and to look in a certain way and so where does that adultery take place takes place in my heart because my heart is already determined that that is something i want and so what happens it starts with the imagination it plays around with the thought and so we have you know people in the world who have those types of thoughts and it leads them to marriage breakups and everything else that they that they experience because for them there are no boundaries to those things but the believer knows that you shouldn't be playing around with imaginations that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God when a person gets saved they soon realize that the mind is something that needs to be controlled and you can control your mind. You have the ability to do that. But you also need to understand that your heart is connected very closely to your mind. And that what goes on up here, once it gets take hold, takes hold here, becomes another matter altogether. But on the contrary, one can also take hold of the word of God. One can also imagine the beauty, which means meditating on the word of God, meditating on the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God, 
meditating on the love that was shown to us at Calvary, thinking about all the things that you have in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can meditate on those things and you can imagine the beauty of those things and allow that to become the passion of your heart. Fill your life up with those passions, with that affection, and you won't leave room for those that are contrary. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case for Judah. Judah's sin, the Bible says, in, back in Jeremiah, it was so clear that God says it was like almost that they took an iron pen with a diamond tip and they scarred your heart with it. It was so obvious, their sin, that they didn't actually hide it from anyone anymore. They just, they did it openly. And God says, your heart's been scarred. Just like someone who has a scar on their skin and anyone can see it, God saw the scars on their hearts and it was too late for those hearts to be mended. God saw it all and God pronounced judgment upon them. And he says, the judgment here is that you're going to lose your home. The thing that I gave you, that I promised you, you're going to lose your home. And you know why they lost their home? Because they evicted God from his home here. And then he says, you're going to lose all your treasures. Someone else is going to come and take them away. And, the, and even the gods that you now worship, they won't be able to do anything for you. You know why they lost all their treasures? Because they forgot the treasures that they really had in him. And they went chasing after the filth of the world, thinking that that was somehow more valuable than the precious gold they had in Christ. And so he declares them cursed because they had followed and trusted in the imagination of their own hearts. And so Jeremiah 17, 5, if you go back there, it says, Thus saith the Lord, and we looked at this last week, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And maketh flesh his arm, that means his strength or his power, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Judah had been blind to the darkness that they were experiencing. Keep in mind, you know when, when, when lights get dimmer, have you ever found yourself in a place that you're actually in a room that's so dim, but you didn't realise it was dim? You know that when you got the windows open in the evening, and you're there and, and there's enough light coming in and pretty soon it gets to a point where it's so dark you can barely see it, and then someone's got to say, hey, it's dark in here. And they remind you to turn the lights on. Well, that's what happens to a person when their heart gets progressively darker and darker. It gets to a point where it's so dark you don't even realise you're in the dark. That's what happened to Judah. They had become so dark they didn't realise they were actually in that place. And even though the Lord was still calling them, they couldn't hear it anymore. They couldn't see it. They were in total darkness. And so we get to this particularly powerful verse. Jeremiah 17, 9. That says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a, that's a, that's a very important verse to get a hold of. The heart is filled with darkness already. The heart has, every one of us, has heart, have hearts with dark corners that you can't see very well. And you don't want to see, to be honest with you. Dark corners where sin and pride and envy and hypocrisy and sins and weaknesses are all there just, you know, nice and quiet. It's a bit like, you know, a, a, a snake in its hole you might walk by you can't see it but dark it's all dark in there but that's a bit like our hearts and we all know every one of us understands that when we want to do something that's good oftentimes you have this other thing other person talking they're telling you to do something else and so you realize that often our motives reasons that we do things are often impure yeah, they may be generally on, in the right direction, but there's often something else going on in the background, some other motive which taints those things, things that really are about self-glorification that come from pride, from envy, from fear, from false humility. And sometimes we look at those things and we'll even use those things and we'll say, this is the Lord's work that I'm doing. 
Once you understand the desperate position that people are in, having hearts that are deceitful above all things, not just some things, but all things, and at the same time desperately wicked, you realise what dilemma every person in this world has. Because if the thing that, we, that people trust is deceptive and evil, where are they going to go? What can they possibly do? And the question is, and it's raised here, how can I know it? Who can know it? Who can actually tell me about myself? And that's a very important question to answer. And believe it or not, modern psychology has found a similar thing. If you've studied any psychology, you'll realise how deceptive the heart actually is. The mechanisms that it's got in place to cover things up, to not let out the truth. Modern psychology discovered the same thing. The heart is a deceitful device filled with trickery and subterfuge. And to get to the root reason for why a person does something or has done something takes a long, long, long time. That's why they get people lying down on couches. Have you seen... You know those couches? Come away on the couch. And they have to go there for one hour and then another hour and then another hour and then another hour and they just keep on talking and talking and talking. And the whole idea about getting to talk and talk and talk and talk and, and ask questions is that the psychologist is trying to eventually get to what's actually the truth. Because <laughs> they're lying the whole way through and they're lying to themselves. The heart does not divulge its secrets very easily, especially to the owner of the heart. So most people, if not all, live in some sense of self-deception. They live their lives deceiving themselves, thinking that they're in control, but they're actually not. And it's the same place that Judah found itself in, completely self-deceived, thinking they were doing okay, but all the while being very far and distant from God. So the heart, the thing is, though, is not just a deceiver. It isn't just a cover-up professional, but it's wicked to the core. Wicked. Evil and sin can't be understood by psychology. Psychology doesn't deal with sin. It doesn't deal with evil. It can't, it can't do anything with it. And so psychology might say, oh, look, your heart, the reason you, you were doing something, they may eventually through hours and hours of whatever it is, may bring out maybe the real reason. But it can't deal with the sin that's there. It can't deal with the evil in your own heart. And there's only one that can deal with evil and sin, and that's God. God is the only one that can deal with evil and treat sin and free us from its power. And the good news for us is that God knows our hearts better than any psychologist, better than any friend, better than any family, and better than definitely yourself and myself. And so in Jeremiah 17.10, we are told by the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. And even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So reins here... For those of you who have ever handled a horse, who's held the reins of a horse before? And you didn't fall off? No. You fell off. There you go. See? There's always got to be one. Reins on a horse will direct and steer the horse. And the horse doesn't see what's going on. All he knows is he's getting a tug in this direction or a tug in that direction and, he's, and his head's turning before he knows it. And so he's, he's going in the direction that his head's going in. But there's someone else pulling the strings here, you see. And so God says, you know what? I try. I test. I know the motivations. I know what's steering you. And I'll put those things to the test. God says, I don't just know your heart. I know the motivations that you have for why you do things. You see, this is the beautiful thing about God. You know, in the 1400s and the to the 1600s, the world went through an age of exploration. Okay? So much of the world was unexplored in the 1300s. Now, from a European point of view, I'm talking to Europeans, okay? I know there's plenty of Indians and everything else here. From a European point of view, the, much of the world was undiscovered. Now, when I say undiscovered, from their point of view, all right? The, the man had spread across the entire world. 
still people in, in South America and all, all around Africa, in Australia, we had Aborigines over here. But most of those didn't understand who else was on the planet, you see. And so the Europeans, because of their technology, because they had the ability to be able to, to build these massive ships that could sail for weeks and months on end, they set themselves, they got a passion within their heart and they said, you know what, we want to find out what else is out there. And so they set themselves out to explore and to colonise and to spread their technology and their culture to far off lands and to find whatever wealth they could and bring it back. And so they launched out into the unknown and they recorded their encounters and observations and books and things of that nature. And they made a lot of detailed diaries and, 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 and drew maps so people could then return to those places. And so we have people such as Ferdinand Magellan and Christopher Columbus and Merigo Vespucci. By the way, Merigo Vespucci was an Italian and that's where the name America comes from. Okay? Vasco da Gama, Sir Francis Drake, Captain James Cook. We had all these, these explorers that just roamed the seas and drew maps and discovered what was there and brought back details to whatever country they were coming from. And so we began to know more and more about who was out there in the actual world. And today, you're, you're bearing the, uh, the benefits of that, of all that work, because we are here in Australia and most of us have come as immigrants. Okay, our families have arrived here because of ships that sailed from Europe to here and said, hey, there's a place there that we can live, we can expand. In Australia's case, we could send most of our convicts over there as well and get rid of them. <laughs> and today, we have details about every corner of this planet. We know the details of who's where, we know details of you know, how big countries are and what type of you know, climates they have and what type of populations they have. And you know, every one of you has got either Google Maps or Apple Maps on your phone and you can find out if you wanna go somewhere how to get there and how long is it going to take you to get there and, and what are you going to find when you actually get to that place. You can pinpoint anything on the globe these days and you know before you get there pretty much what you're going to find. So the world has been explored. The world has been discovered. And we are, this, this generation here, for the first time able to know before we get to a place what exactly we're going to find. You can actually see what's going on there almost. But there's one place that Google Maps and Apple Maps and all those sort of places will not take you. They don't know. It's an unexplored place, but it's a place that's very, very dangerous and that's our hearts. Won't tell you the direction there. Won't tell you what's there. Can't warn you about all the, the mischievous things that are going on. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place. If you went to a, a foreign place that you didn't know anything about, and let's say it was a jungle area, would you go by yourself? No. Some of you may be foolhardy enough to go by yourselves, but not me. The first thing we're going to do is to get someone who knows the area, a local guide, someone who understands the terrain, understands the dangers, and then I'm going to follow them. And so you need a reliable tour guide, an expert who can direct you safely. And this is the case with our own hearts. God says, tour guide here. I've got all the details. You want to go and find out? You want to do some exploring? I can tell you where to go. I can show you where the things are. I can reveal to you those dark places that you want to find out. And I can tell you what to do with it. Only God can do that. And so trusting in God means trusting him with our hearts. And trusting him to take us to those really dangerous places that are in our own hearts. For the heart, according to the Bible, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Ever, ever met a desperate person before? A desperately wicked person is very difficult to deal with. And that's how the Bible describes our own hearts. A place that's pretty frightening, that has repressed and hidden things, things that are locked away that it doesn't want to reveal but God knows all those places and so we have this comparison with Israel or Judah 
where it had gone to this very, very dark place. Their hearts had spiraled to a point of darkness that they were filled with darkness. It wasn't just a corner here and a corner there. Their heart was now filled. And God was not allowed in. God was no, no tour guide there. God was not being followed. He wasn't being trusted. And they fell into deeper and deeper darkness. But isn't being a Christian trusting more and more in God? You know, when you first became saved, you made a decision to trust your soul to Jesus Christ. And you said, you know what? My, my soul is precious to me. It's going to last forever. And I understand that I can't save myself because I am a sinner. And there's nothing I can do that's good enough to get me into heaven. But I believe in heaven now. And I believe in God. And I believe that he is a holy God. And he demands justice. And he demands holiness. So you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus with my heart. I'm going to trust Jesus with my soul. And that's what, if you're born again today, if you're saved, you've trusted the thing which is most precious to you. To this man who lived 2,000 years ago and said and told everyone that he was the creator of the world. He died on the cross and he rose again the third day and you've said, I'm going to trust my eternal destiny. I'm going to put them in his hands. I'm going to put that destiny in his hands. That's what salvation is. And now the next question for us is, as believers, do we trust these with him? And most of us say, oh, no. If he comes in there, he's going to find stuff he's not going to like. And there's stuff that I don't like in there. And I don't want to have to deal with it. I want to just put that to the side and just walk along my merry way. And God says, hang on a sec. you got stuff to fix. And I want to fix it for you. But unless you... Admit it, unless you acknowledge it, unless you get, hand it over to me, I can't fix it. You see, God is the perfect gentleman. So today, I want to encourage you to trust your heart fully to the Lord. Not just part, not just a corner, but to trust every part of your heart to him and say, God, wherever you lead me, wherever your word says about me, it may hurt me, but I'm going to trust you with it. And I'm going to choose to follow you. And that's why there is this interesting passage. Go to James Chapter 5, verse 6. Almost done. James chapter 5, verse 6. Brother Anthony uh, brought this, this particular verse up with me. I had a discussion with about it this week. So thanks for that because I actually made it into the sermon. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. It says... Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now you might say, you know, there are some, like the Catholic Church says, you know what that means? That means you've got to go to the church and confess your sins to the priest. Yeah? And then you've got to say 10 Hail Marys and 20 Our Fathers and you know, your, your sins are paid for. That's not what this is saying. This is not about sins. This word here are faults. And every one of us has faults. Every one of us has weaknesses. This is not about confessing your sins to each other. This is your sins you confess to God. And he cleanses you of all of your sin. But this is to share our weaknesses with each other. For what purpose? Why? So we can gossip about each other? No. So that we can pray one for another. Look at what it says. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. What faults? The faults that are in here. Because when God reveals a fault to you, when God opens up your eyes to what's happening in here and why you've been doing something, it's good to actually get prayer for that. Because then, together, you're both trusting in God to heal. Confessing your weaknesses one to another shows that you first recognize your weakness. But then also it says in praying for each other, that we're trusting the Lord to grant us the grace to overcome it. So it's good to pray for each other. It's good to share your weaknesses with your brethren, with people that you trust, that you know, okay? Because the Lord healed people who were crippled and lame, who were 
lepers, who were blind, who were deaf. And don't you think all those things exist in a spiritual sense as well? People that are spiritually lame and spiritually blind and spiritually deaf and spiritually unclean. And it's the Lord that can heal from all those things too. So it's trusting in the Lord. And the Lord says, I search the heart. I try the reins. I give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. There's a promise here. You may look at this, this, uh, this verse and say, oh, this is about judging those people that they're going to get what's coming to them, right? But not necessarily. Yes, there is a sense in which sin leads to death and there's judgment that comes from it. But there's a promise here to, that God will give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In other words, if you choose to follow God, there is fruit in that. There is reward in that. He will bless you by being faithful to him, by trusting in him. The more you trust God, the more he will bless you. And you won't be led into ruin. You won't be you won't live a life that's in, in darkness because God's light can illuminate what's already dark. And your life will be a blessing. It won't be like in verse 11 in Jeremiah 17, as the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not. So he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and, and his end shall be a fool. This verse is saying your life doesn't have to be like that. Your life can be one where the eggs hatch where what you where you put your effort in you will bear fruit choose to follow the lord fully listen to his word obey it with all of your heart love him love his word choose to follow follow christ for his sake not for yours we are not at the middle of this thing it's christ who should be in the middle of all things he is the lord not us pray to him acknowledge the truth and i'll finish this with verse 12 it says a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary you want um you want peace in your life you want a place of refuge find it at the foot of his throne Find it at his feet, at his gloriously high throne, because he is high above anything in this world. Lift him up in your heart daily. Truly love him. Set your affections upon him. Trust him with your heart, because you know what? He is more trustworthy with your heart than you are, that's for sure. God bless you. Thank you.